Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America has got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Entering the home stretch of the midterm elections, Fox News released new Democracy 2022 power rankings this week. And for the first time this cycle, these rankings do give Democrats at least pathways to retain control of the House. But Republicans still remain the favorite to gain the net five seats needed to take control. As inflation reached its highest level in 40 years last week, it still remains the number one issue for voters. But many are still extremely concerned about abortion policy and the future of U.S. democracy. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, NPR national political correspondent, Mara Liason, and editor-at-large of The Spectator, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich. Uh, Mara, has the dynamic changed just in recent days since last week we talked last um, that we can discernibly tell about trends as we head into the final push? Yeah, well, you know, I think this has been a real roller coaster of a midterm election cycle. I would say maybe a month ago or more, if you'd asked me what the weather report was for Democrats, I would have said cloudy with a chance of a tsunami. Um, there was They were really bracing themselves for a wipeout. Then we had the Dobbs decision and Democrats got more uh, energized and inflation seemed to be cooling at least for a bit. Gas prices were coming down. Maybe they even had a chance to keep the Senate. Then the latest conventional wisdom is that the fundamentals are clanging back into place, inflation's still here, and Republicans are still being advantaged by all the fundamentals. But I would say Senate is still a jump ball, and the Republicans are still the odds-on favorite to take the House, but maybe not by a very wide margin. Tom, it seems like the issues are roughly the same in that uh, inflation and what people are paying really drives the day. But it does seem like crime and immigration, uh, at least in some quarters of the country, are, are gaining ground. Well, you know, those those issues, I mean, it's tough because there's anecdotal evidence to suggest that those issues are playing uh, to Republicans advantage, particularly in in suburbs in some of these swing states. You think about the suburbs of Atlanta or Phoenix, um, that uh, voters, particularly suburban women who had been who had swung toward uh, the Democrats over the last couple cycles might be swinging back towards Republicans on that issue. But that you know, is cut by uh, the Dobbs decision and the abortion issue, which popped up and, and really did energize Democrats toward the end of the primary season. So, I mean, but by and large, I mean, the data just suggests that the dynamic really hasn't changed that much. I mean, if you look at 
the all of the available polling data, inflation, economy, still number one, uh, gas prices, still um, crime is a little bit further down the list. Immigration is up there, certainly for Republicans. Um, but an abortion is is up as far as an issue of concern for Democrats, but not as much for independents. And so uh, and that's really you know, you have to do two things to win uh, a midterm election, right? You have to energize your base, of course, but you also have to win over swing voters. And I think Democrats have have energized their base. The question is whether their priorities align with the priorities of independent voters in these states. And the data suggests that it, they don't, uh, at least right now, given the, the priority um, that, that so many independents are placing on the economy. Yeah, Ben, the you know, the immigration issue is just getting more prominence, obviously, with the governor's actions, uh, DeSantis and Abbott uh, sending migrants, but but also just by the sheer numbers on the border. Look, I, I think that Tom is correct, but I, I think that what we're seeing here is is two very energized sides. I mean, you you had the Dobbs decision that basically woke Democrats up. They're crashing, though, into, I think, a Republican red wave that is uh, likely to uh, certainly likely to uh, gain the House and uh, a little less likely. But but still, I, I would say uh, favorable in terms of gaining the Senate. Look, we have to understand that, you know, this is this is going to be a very different group of people who are coming to Washington, uh, you know, replacing a lot of sort of older Republicans, more established Republicans who've been around for a long time. I mean, I think personally that Herschel Walker is likely to be the next senator from Georgia. I think J.D. Vance is likely to win. I think you're going to have Mark Wayne Mullen. And I actually think that Dr. Oz is probably someone who's going to prevail in Pennsylvania. It, ultimately, you know, when you look at that lineup of people coming into uh, Washington, it's going to make a very different set of people when it comes to the Senate conference and what they do as senators is going to be something that I think flows into the national conversation, particularly when it comes to the majority leadership, uh, potentially of, of Mitch McConnell, who is obviously someone who the former president, Donald Trump, is targeting very regularly. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, there's a lot of uproar about the moving the migrants, Mara, and um, there's still, you know, calls for investigations into the governor's actions. But there hasn't been a lot of uproar about the dozens of illegal immigrants who have died in the Rio Grande just in the past couple of months. That's right. I think the reason why the plane loads of migrants to Martha's Vineyard, the elite summer community where Barack Obama has a home, was such a big story is because it was seen against the backdrop of uh, presidential politics for 2024 and how it was Governor DeSantis's uh, uh, move to own the libs and thrill the Republican base. Uh, you know, it just became a com complete political story. I think that immigration in general, this cycle works against 
um, Democrats as it usually has, but there was some pushback. Although most of those immigrants were from Venezuela, a communist dictatorship that they are fleeing. And a lot of people in Florida, Hispanics in Florida, saw them sympathetically like they would see Cuban migrants. So I think it was complicated. Uh, but yes, the, the, the tragedy that we have a broken immigration system, that there are people dying in the desert and we don't pay enough attention to them. And Congress has tried and failed over and over again to solve this problem stop illegal immigration, boost legal immigration. We have a labor shortage in this country. It's just a tragedy. Mara, I just have to push back a little bit here. I think, you know, as much as people talk about the fact that this was a stunt, and obviously it was a stunt, we're talking about 50 people. And, you know, if you go down to Eagle Pass, uh, you know, a population there that is, that is you know, it's a small town. It's, it is not, uh, you know, a large city. And to see the the thousands of people that they have to deal with on a regular basis, you know, it, basically this was shoving the immigration issue into the face of people who, you know, have all the coexist buttons and the and the signs in front of their houses and talk about you know we're a sanctuary city and the like. Uh, it was it was calling them out on their BS and basically but they didn't know, react the way that DeSantis said they would react. They didn't say, oh, get these illegal immigrants off my doorstep. No, I, I think you're, I think you follow different they accounts than them. I do, Mara. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> but, a very small community. It's not days. hard to follow the, the reaction uh, of a of a small community. Of I'm very I'm very sympathetic to to people who, you know, have pro pro immigrant and pro migrant views. But I think in this case that DeSantis absolutely came out to benefit from this politically. And, I agree. And from the when you're running in a Republican Republicans, primary or thinking about it, this was a good political move. I yeah. agree with that. Did it help solve the immigration problem? No. Of course not. Yeah. But, so, but, Tom, that's another issue is, you know, whether they're seeking refuge from Venezuela or other countries along the way to get to the U.S., they've been through three, four, five, sometimes eight countries to get here. Uh, any one of the other eight would have been a good stopping place, too. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> under the current definition of, of asylum, it, it's so expansive. I mean, the, the current administration isn't even enforcing it in any way. And so, uh, look, I think you're exactly right, Brett. I mean, one of the things, obviously, I agree with Ben and Mara, was a political stunt. It was an effective one. It served to highlight and, and bring the issue to the forefront um, and to highlight the hypocrisy of Democrats. But the way that the left, uh, you know, the the MSNBC folks and, you know, just absolutely went nuts and said DeSantis is, you know, he's a human trafficker. He's a kidnapper. He's he's, you know, recklessly playing with lives of, of these migrants um, when, to your point, so far as I know, not a single one of those 50 people died. But yet we had the the sheriff from the county in Texas, who's now investigating this as a as a crime and is going to say, you know, I don't know what statute it is. I haven't found out that yet, but I'm going to you know, I'm going to find something and try and charge this is the same sheriff in whose county 53 migrants died in the back of a 18 wheeler. I mean, it's just why the, isn't Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis going to highlight those deaths? They're not. They want to own the libs. They don't want to talk about the incredible human toll this is this broken system is taking. I, I, I think to, they've I been talking about it, Mara. I think they have. I think yeah. Republicans have been trying to point out that that the policies of this administration, the sort of open, you know, lax open border policy, whatever you want to call it, actually results in a lot of of suffering 
whether it's human trafficking of minors or, you know, people drowning in the Rio Grande or in the back of, you know, 18 wheelers, whatever they have highlighted, but the, but the national media hasn't really paid much attention to it. It hasn't become even these flights that the Biden administration has been doing for 14 months now, dropping people off in the you know middle of the night in upstate New York and other places wasn't was not a problem, was not a big issue, wasn't considered, uh, you know, this this moral abomination uh, until, you know, Ron DeSantis sent 50 people to Martha's Vineyard. So I think it. It was a, a brilliant political stunt, and but we'll see, you know, as far as what sort of impact it may have on on the vote and on the election. Yeah, you were going to say, Ben. Sorry, I, I was just going to say I was in uh, Eagle Pass the day that they, you know, pulled a Texas State Trooper uh, his body out of the river, um, you know, after he had attempted to save, uh, you know, a group of migrants who were, you know, being pulled away by the current. And this is something that is a it's a horrible issue. It's a terrible issue. And I don't think that there's actually a policy solution that addresses it directly. Um, you know, I would like for there be, to be. But, you know, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, this is an issue that does benefit Republicans. But I'm not sure that anything's going to change if Republicans actually take control. Uh, unfortunately, I think that this administration and its policies uh, will continue to encourage uh, this flow of migrants that is ultimately, you know, something that is creating a humanitarian disaster uh, and something that is also, you know, unfortunately uh, fueling and funding the cartels uh, across our southern border who are being paid, you know, thousands of dollars in order to escort these individuals uh, from the nations that they are attempting to leave. Last thing on immigration, Mara, uh, you know, the, the president has used political capital for infrastructure, um, for this adjusted uh, climate slash what was called inflation reduction, although uh, a lot of critics said it didn't do that or is not going to right. do it. Um, to but do it. Yeah. he hasn't used a lot of political capital for uh, a specific bill on Capitol Hill about immigration. Uh, no, he hasn't. They don't talk about immigration. No, they don't, no. They don't have a plan for immigration, really. That's right. I think they think that, I think they have a plan. He actually sent it up pretty early in his administration. He certainly wanted uh, DACA kids legalized. He wants comprehensive immigration along the lines of other Democratic presidents. I think they think it's a loser politically. They don't have the votes for it, which I think is really tragic because there used to be a consensus on comprehensive immigration reform. Um no, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it. I think he, they, for Democrats, it's generally a losing issue. But the fact is that people died and have died in the desert during Republican administrations and, and Democratic administrations. And it is so long overdue that both parties come together on this. There has to be a middle ground where you stop illegal immigration, boost legal immigration, because we have a labor shortage in this country, and figure out what to do with people who are here, who are undocumented and have been here for many years law abiding. I mean, yeah. this we've been uh, through this so many times and it just cannot get any kind of traction on Capitol Hill. Yeah. I mean, listen, I covered it as a White House correspondent covering George W. Bush. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It was, you know, if anybody could have gathered it, perhaps it was him um, and it fell far short. Tom, last thing, um, the president on 60 Minutes, I mean, there were a lot of moments that were eyebrow oh, raising, but... When he said that the pandemic was over, the fallout from that, now day three, um, really is quite something on, on the left and from the Washington Post editorial page and elsewhere. Yeah. And 
I mean, <laughs> there's no doubt that what he said is true. I mean, uh, the pandemic is over in terms of the American. I mean, the data completely supports that. If you look now on uh, all the polling as far as COVID being an issue of concern for for the public, for American voters, it is way down the list. It is down into low single digits. It does not rank in the top 10 or 15. And, and clearly the country has moved on. And so I think he was saying it was probably one of the you know, he said some other stuff that that was controversial. This to me was not controversial at all. And yet, uh, you know, you had some Democrats in Washington pushing back and and uh, some other ones, even our own governor here in Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, saying, wait, hold on. We're not you know, COVID's not necessarily over. So uh, it was a little perplexing, the, the response to that, because it is demonstrably true that that as far as the public is concerned, um, even though, you know, we're now coexisting with COVID in the same way we do with the flu and some other things, it's, it's, it's hasn't gone away, but as far as it being a, a real issue of concern, uh, for, for the public, it's not. Right. The problem, Ben, is that the administration used COVID and emergency powers yes. tied to COVID to wipe student loans and to do other things <laughs> in the administration. <laughs> How inconvenient, Brett. <laughs> it's just, I mean, look, uh, I, this is the Joe Biden that I love because he's someone who is so, uh, he, he does things off the cuff and unscripted uh, that admit the thing that everyone else can uh, acknowledge is true. <laughs> and that's, that's the best part of him. And, uh, and that's what he was doing in this interview. And it, of course it's, it's true that it's over as, as, as Tom said, it's just, one of these things where I think, unfortunately, you know, the, the the people who are in the policy shops very much want to be able to continue to use uh, the COVID pandemic in order to do all manner of emergency powers related things uh, that uh, they would not be able to do if they could not point to it. It's going to become, I think, unfortunately, the equivalent of the the 9-11 sort of uh, era policy uh, making principles where it's just invoked over and over again uh mm. regardless of the truth of the matter well, you and know i just Mara, looked up it complicates the it it complicates oh. it that mara that uh they're up on capitol hill asking for yes, a lot more money for, for more money now of course some of that money is to preparedness for the next pandemic but the right. point is i looked up the definition of a pandemic it's a disease prevalent over a whole country and that is not the case anymore. And if you actually listen to the president, he said the pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. So for all of those, you know, Democrats who were up in arms about this, he didn't say COVID is gone. He said the pandemic is over. And I think as, you know, Ben and Tom just said, vast majorities of Americans would agree with him on that. That's right. All right. Thank you, panel. Now for a bit of history, the Battle of the Sexes. September 20th, 1973, top women's tennis player Billie Jean King, former number one ranked men's player Bobby Riggs, faced off in an exhibition tennis match inside the Astrodome in Houston. This after the 55-year-old retired Bobby Riggs had made a number of incendiary comments stating that he could defeat any female tennis player in the game. Fifty million people tuned in. Billie Jean King would go on to defeat Bobby Riggs in three consecutive sets in what is now known as the Battle of the Sexes. Billie Jean King today remains a trailblazer and advocate for women's sports around the globe. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Ben, Mara, and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.